MSW Media. Hey, all, it's Dan. Uh, we put this on your calendar for me on Tuesday, April 13th. Amy Yakuboff and I will be on Flaviar's Nightcap Live on Zoom at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and we'll be debating the ever-important question, the old-fashioned versus the Negroni, which is better. We're making both cocktails to get to the bottom of it once and for all. Members of Flaviar will be able to join via Zoom and get involved. For you non-members, check us out on Flaviar's YouTube channel or become a member and come hang out for a spirited debate. Again, Tuesday, April 13th, the old-fashioned versus the Negroni. One drink will enter and only one comes out alive. This is Harry Lennox from the Justice League and you are listening to a great injustice. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Dunn. We got a big one today. I hope you're thirsty. We got some fantastic liquid going down. You thirsty? You should be thirsty. Stay thirsty, my friends. Joining us on the program, brilliant actor by the name of Harry Lennox from the Blacklist on NBC. He's in the Justice League. He's been in everything. Harry's the best, and he's going to be joining us in just a few minutes. Also on the show, the founder of Barrel Craft Spirits. That's the man who's responsible for the aforementioned fantastic liquid we're drinking. Joe Beatrice will be joining us as well. A lot to get to, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry through. I want to tell you up front, uh, I've got a friend named Elaine Duff, who's a 20-year industry vet- veteran to mixologist. She's worked for, my God, name the brand, Ciroc Vodka Tangeray, Bullet Bourbon, Don Julio Tequila. And now Elaine has a show. Uh, that she does on YouTube. It's a weekly live series called Celebrating the Brand Ambassador. There are about 15 episodes in. I've checked it out. I love it. She She's interviewing people that rep beverage companies. And if you're listening to this show, I'm, I'm assuming you're into adult beverages. So she's had the global ambassador for Angostura Rum on there, the McAllen, Heaven Hill, people like Thomas, I mean, legends, Thomas Estes, Julio Bermejo, Ian Burrell, it's a really cool thing to check out, especially if you're interested in the business of booze. That's what Elaine covers on Celebrating the Brand Ambassador, and I invite you to check it out. It goes live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on Elaine Duff's, that's E-L-A-Y-N-E, Elaine, D-U-F-F, like Duff Beer from The Simpsons. Elaine Duff's Facebook page. Go there every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, or you can go to her Celebrate the Brand Ambassador YouTube channel. Speaking of all that stuff, follow me at the imbiber at WWD underscore podcast. That's where we do it on social media. There will be some video up there of Joe Beatrice and Harry Lennox. 
Next week's guest, very excited to let you know, next week on this very program, the one and only Maynard James Keenan, lead singer of Tool, a perfect circle, Pussifer, the founder and winemaker for Merkin Vineyards and Caduceus Cellars, Maynard James Keenan will be with us next episode and the following episode after that nick jonas and john var vados be joining us and then the episode after that comedian big j okerson man we got a month we got a month here in april exciting uh one other thing on a bit of a down note i not even a bit on a very down note i i want to acknowledge my friend jason smith um, Jason was the CEO, it's difficult to say it that way, he was, the CEO of Starburns Audio and the, the network that this show is on. And uh, a few years ago, I, I got to meet Jason. I'm friends with his wife, and she connected us at a show called Drinky Fun Time. And that was the first show I did for Starburns Audio, and Jason was a big champion of that show, and as well as this show, what we're drinking. He has always been very supportive, and, excuse me, uh, so uh, a week, not this past Friday, the Friday before, Jason uh, died. Suddenly, he had a uh, heart attack at 43 years old. And I am still processing that. It's, uh, it's very sad. He leaves behind a wife, uh, Stephanie, and, and daughter, Sarah, and a lot of friends and family members. And um, I am very sad, and I miss him, and uh, I will always miss him and um so when you're if you have a glass now or if you next time you have a drink in your glass uh, maybe raise a toast in memory of jason smith the former ceo of starburns audio Joining me now on the program is a man of innumerable talents, and among them is acting. He's appeared in a host of films and TV shows, including The Five Heartbeats, The Matrix series, Ray, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and lest we forget, once upon a time, he did appear on an episode of Perry Mason, The Case of the Defiant Daughter. We'll spend most of the time talking about that. Uh, He currently stars on the NBC series, The Blacklist. Our old friend, Harry Lennox. How are you, man? Dan, I'm great, man. Uh, it's great to see you. Um, you just were listed off all that stuff. I forgot about most of it. But I'm glad you didn't forget about the Perry Mason case of the Defiant Daughter. That was a lot of fun. Working with Raymond Burr. Do you remember what you played on the case of the Defiant Daughter? I remember my name was Keith. Uh, I was an assistant DA. And, of course, I had to go up against uh, Perry Mason. Of course, I got my ass kicked. I was going to say, did you win? Any chance you won that case? Wait a minute, man. That Harry, that was 30 years ago. You do, and that's the name. Do you remember Keith's last name? Um, no. Keith Warner. 
Texas. Wow. Keith, Keith Warner, Warner, according to IMDb. Okay. Wow, that's pretty <laughs> impressive that you remember that, man. I mean, it, it is funny. Well, first of all, let me have a, a toast with you because uh, it's always great to see you. And we're drinking – we are drinking barrel barrel uh, spirits. coming. They have seagrass, which is a brand new release. Whenever I get the new stuff, right? Like, So Barrel Craft Spirits – is one of the best producers of whiskey in the United States. And um, whenever I got the good stuff coming along and I try to think on who I want to have on the show drinking it with me, Harry, your name is always at the top of that list because you genuinely appreciate whiskey. You, 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 you don't, you're not just drink, you genuinely appreciate it. And so the fact that this thing, this barrel seagrass is hot off the presses, it's a blend of American and Canadian rye whiskeys, and it's aged in three different types of casks, Harry, Martinique rum, agricole cast, apricot brandy cast, and Madeira barrels. So this is going to be a treat and I have not tried it either. In fact, I probably should, are you, how are you drinking it right now? I've got some rocks on it. All right, yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do it a little bit neat first. I got a little okay. Glencairn glass here. I'm gonna pour it in and take a little nose on there. And man, and cheers to you, buddy. Cheers, brother. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um. Mm. First impression. Oh, that's terrific. You know, it's um. It's sweet, but I can taste uh, some of those notes that you were talking about. You know, maybe some of the rum. And- yeah, I'm getting. I mean, it's got a lot of the classic rye flavors going on. Yeah, that cinnamon that. and 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 with spice on there too. And 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 I get a little bit of pear notes and maybe some grapefruit. But man, it's got a. Uh, I maybe put a little splash of spring water in there. I think which will, will open it up a little. Open it up. Yeah. yeah, and well, this water's. I mean, this ice is gonna do that for me. This is not for the faint of heart here. This is fifty nine point two percent ABV. So this is a one hundred and eighteen point four proof uh, rye whiskey. So settle in for this one, man. I mean, this thing's got some kick to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But it's still sweet. It's very smooth still. Um, because I think of all those fruit notes that you were talking about in addition to the to the rye, so it's Canadian and American. Huh? Yeah, it's 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 a blend of Canadian and rye whiskeys. And so what they do, they're they're an independent blender and bottler. They source whiskeys and rums, and they came on the scene. Uh, when would the barrel come around? I guess it was probably around. It seems about seven eight years ago in Louisville, Kentucky. The guy Joe Beatrice, who's going to be joining us a little bit later on the show, will will give me some more of that detailed information. But it's one of those brands that just came out and right from the get go started putting out phenomenal stuff and winning a lot of awards and whatnot. And that's how they came on my radar when I was writing for Rob Report because you know Rob Report tries to focus on the most exclusive, best stuff out there, and that's this qualifies for sure. Right. Well, it's uh, it deserves to be on that list, and it's uh, it's very good. I, I'm never really, you know, I, generally more of a bourbon man and a Scotch man than I am rye. But I, I do like a good rye, and this is uh, this is good. It's light, you know, and yet it has the kick that you're talking about. It's very satisfying. Very, very satisfying. Well, I made an old fashioned. My favorite drinks, and I want to ask you right after this. A, you know, a rye old fashioned is in the top three for sure. I did just, to me, it's a perfect cocktail. I mean, it just, I mean, you know, got a little sugar in there, a tiny bit of soda water. I got, I got this, the seagrass is the, obviously the spirit 
cup. I put two little cherries in there, two little brandy cherries in there, and I garnished it with a. Uh, I expressed the orange peel on there, and I'm going to try it right here. Here we go. Mm. And you know what? You make a nice cocktail, Dan. That's a nice. Uh, you know your stuff when it comes to cocktailing. Well, it never lets me down that one, and that's what I want to ask you, Harry. Let's do the proverbial desert island situation. Or what are your five favorite? alcoholic beverages it doesn't necessarily it can be a cocktail but it could be beer it could be a specific wine you got five things that you only get to drink these five things for the rest of your life what are they well uh i love gin uh i switched from gin to gin from uh whiskey mostly of the scotch or bourbon variety um probably about eight years ago as my number one gin gin became your number one Gin became my number one. Was there a Gin reason? Became. Did something happen? Did you have so, Did you have a very late night and get into a fight with the whiskey and the rye, <laughs> as can happen sometimes? It was really just the calories. That's okay. all it was. No, no other reason than that uh, it, pa- it packs a lot of calories into it. Uh, the gin is a little bit less. The vodka has, I think, the least amount, at least for a while it did. Well, I think, a gi- I think this it- barrel, this rye whiskey, I can't be sure. I'll ask Joe, but it... it Probably eighty calories if you're drinking it neat. Yeah, yeah. That. yeah that, that's the typical uh, what what the normal pour is about eighty two calories or so. Uh, whereas gin, I think, is something more like high sixties. And uh, vodka, I'm sorry, I think this is funny to me. So wait a minute, you <laughs> you switched gin became your favorite over about fifteen calories. <laughs> Yes. Wow. Is this the life? This is the life. We're getting an insight to the life of an actor right now. You're like, well, let me see. Over the course of a night, if I have six drinks, that's that's 90 calories I'm saving myself, right? That that could be the difference between getting the role and not getting the role, right? It could be. That's like a, that's a half a beer, you know? Sure. Okay. So gin, so, so I would say gin. Uh, you just all gin or you're just all gin? Are you going to make a specific gin cocktail? Is there one that jumps out? I'm primarily a Bombay Sapphire guy. You know what I mean? That just happens to be the one. I, I don't, you know, Tangeray is, is cool. That was what Betty Davis drank, by the way, Tangeray. Okay. Um, but yeah, when it comes to whiskeys, um, I guess my favorite thing is probably McAllen's uh, uh, 12. The Scotch. That's my go-to. Scotch. Okay. And then, uh, and then I'm more or less, you know, for the bourbon until now. I am, uh, you know, I would go for Maker's Mark or something in that, okay. in that family. But this is very, very good. Bullet, you know, I've had in terms of rise before. But in terms of the five, it would be gin, scotch. What about a cocktail? It would probably be um, a Cosmo. Really? From, uh, with with, uh, uh, with, with uh, Tito's. Okay. You didn't strike me as a Cosmo guy. Well, you know, um, you like martinis. I've been with you when you drink martini. Every I came to see you in New York, and you went. You took me to a bar specifically because you said they made a great martini. I don't. The way that I happen to martini, Dan, I, I don't consider it a cocktail because I I don't put any damn vermouth. It's in. Just straight gin. <laughs> Isn't that the best? Whoever that idea was the best idea ever. You know, I'm gonna do a martini. Here's here's a way we can get a here's a workaround. Here's a workaround to th- people saying maybe you're drinking too much is. Instead of calling it a three and a half ounce shot of gin, straight shot of gin, just call it a put it in this glass, maybe chuck an olive in it, and it's a martini. Yeah. It's a martini. Nothing else in there. Yeah. (laughs) 
That's right. You know, I, somebody talked to me about, I was at dinner the other night, a great restaurant called Maria on Central Park South. They do a great job. And, uh, and a woman heard me ask for a martini. I ordered a martini. She thought I said a whisper martini. And she said, because she presumed that I just wanted a whisper of vermouth. Okay. But I didn't say whisper. I just think I think I just said a straight gin martini, but I like that. So I have whisper martinis. That's a long way of saying it. A whisper martini. Yeah. A uh, whisper of vermouth. But it's it, a rumor. It's whisper. Yeah. And I thought maybe, did you, I thought she would be confused and think you meant a Vesper, which is vodka no, I, and gin. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. I'll never, I think I did know that. You know, I've never had one of those. Are they good? Wait, wait. You're, so what your favorite, your favorite thing is Jim, but you said vodka's close behind. Yeah. You would think that the Vesper martini would be on your radar. And well, it is now, I mean, yeah, basically, you know, I, the version that I kind of like, I would probably do say three ounces. Of, again, just get around. Uh, I do it with gin heavier on the gin, maybe three ounces of gin, maybe an ounce of vodka. And then uh Lillette Blanc, you know, the, the aperitif put that yeah. little, little lemon twist in there. That's a Vesper martini. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to try that. I'll probably try that on Friday. I could be wrong. And if I am, folks, hit me up at the imbiber and tell me I'm wrong. But I believe it was invented by the man, uh, what's his name, who wrote the James Bond novels? Um, Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming. I believe Ian Fleming invented the Vesper Martini recipe in a Bond novel. I could be wrong. I'm not going to look it up because I'm going to throw myself out there. If I am wrong and you're listening right now, I want you to hit me up at the imbiber. And fact check me on this. I, I like being fact checked. So, but you used to drink beer too, Harry, right? Yes, and that would be that would round out. You know, if I haven't filled up my allotment, that would that would be number five. I grew up, you know, really on on beer. For, it saved my life. That's a true story. My mother had me two months prematurely, and I was um, I was in an incubator for for at least many many weeks. She wouldn't even see me. But wow. her mother told her, she said, get him out of that incubator, take him home and give him beer. Because it was I couldn't hold anything on my stomach. And and it saved my life. So That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Now, you were now bo- that's 200 uh, calories per, per, per bottle. But it, you know, got to go those extra calories because it is a lifesaver. You were born in Chicago, right, I believe. And yeah. I'm going to go here. I, aren't your, wait, your mom's from Chicago? Wasn't your dad from like the South? Though? Your dad's from like New Orleans or something. Well, they're both from the South. My dad's from Louisiana, was a you know Creole down in St. John the Baptist Parish. And my mom is from was born in North Carolina but raised in Virginia. They met in Chicago. So they met in Chicago. So you grew up there. Yeah. You went to Northwestern, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Acting. We talked about some of your your earlier roles. I actually find this kind of fun. To, when I was looking back, because I'm like, you've been in so many things, man. You know, like it, it just. And but I, I went back, and you know, the five heartbeats was kind of the big break, right? Would that 1991? Mm-hmm. Would that be? Would you say that was your big break? Yeah, I would say that from a Hollywood standpoint, you know, actors have different mediums. You know, uh, from a theatrical standpoint live theater uh it was august wilson's ma rainey's black bottom which recently became a, a movie on hp just, uh, with uh, yeah. chadwick boseman and uh um, goes in netflix it might be netflix i'm not sure but uh yeah. but yeah chadwick boseman is nominated viola davis right? viola davis nominated um but this was you know a play that put me on the map as an actor in chicago uh back in 1988 
Okay. And then uh, I did the Five Heartbeats in 90, and it came out in 91. And by the way, it's just celebrating its 30th anniversary. It came out 30 years ago. When's the party, man? <laughs> so is there a chance we get a Five Heartbeats uh, party going on in L.A. this summer? I think uh, I think you know it might be just the two of us, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> have you been? Have you gotten? Are you? Are you? You're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. We're all seeing that. I don't know how how are things in New York now. Is it? Is it? You mentioned that you went to dinner. Is it starting to get better? So, so the restaurants in the city uh, are at fifty percent. You can go in uh, at fifty percent capacity. They're about to ease the travel restrictions for quarantining if you know uh, on either side of the flight uh i have received one of my vaccination shots i'm going to go get the other one tomorrow pfizer one so i believe that it's it's more or less uh coming back and, and you know they're projecting out things for broadway for example in december uh, so it looks like there's signs of life and i think the the numbers are pretty low you know relative to other places so yeah, they're doing well, and uh, and you know, knock on wood, looks like we're coming out of the fog. Yeah, it, it's been a big sense of relief. It's funny you mentioned the Broadway. I've got a, a another friend and his wife are, are big on Broadway. Uh, Colin Donnell and Patty Murin, and we just talked about it. And he said, you know, he got a little emotional talking about the idea that having people back in theaters again, you know, and yeah. just that it's weird to think how used to this we've gotten to not doing that, to not being in theaters, to not being in movie theaters and in plays right. and, and concerts and, and that there is a strong possibility if things keep moving in the right direction that say by the fall. That's what they're saying. Uh, right now I heard that, that it was specifically a show. I think about uh, princess Diana, I think it might be called Diana or something like that. So they said that they're going to open uh, in December. So that's the projection. I guess they must be getting some sort of permission to say that, some kind of a green light. But yeah, man, you know, it's it's a very interesting thing. I don't know if it's going to bounce back immediately. If you think about it, Dan, there's a thousand seats probably in the average Broadway theater. That's just Broadway. I think it'll be much easier to handle in regional theaters in terms of social distancing, should that still be the case. But as these uh, vaccinations, is something on the order of, 500 million shots, I think, that have been given in the United States alone. So I think by the fall, people will feel... What about more outdoor stuff, Harry? Because like in the park and Central... So the, the warm weather's coming. Right. And so there's no excuse why we can't at least, you know, create situations where we can consume entertainment outdoors. You know, Shakespeare in the park, or you were doing Michael Bay earlier, Michael Bay in the park. Uh <laughs> I had a, can I, right. I got to indulge. I had a magical, I mentioned Harry's house and one of the most magical nights I remember being there a couple of years ago and it was Harry and, and Angus McFadden, McFadden from uh, Braveheart and Robert the Bruce and a bunch of million other shows and Harry and, 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 and Angus are old friends and they worked together and we'd, we'd been, we'd been drinking. That's for sure. And it was Getting late. It was getting well into the evening, and you and Angus were out on your porch, and the view behind you is all of at Los Angeles. You can see all of yeah. Los Angeles. One of the best views of any of my friends' homes. And you guys were a little bit drunk, and you were doing some. You were doing some Shakespeare, and it was 
just and not in any pretentious way. I mean, if I say that, you might oh no, but it was just two guys who had the training, had the goods, had the skills, and had a shitload of whiskey in them, and started doing Shakespeare, and it was flawless. You probably fucked up a million things, but to me, it was flawless. I'm watching, going, this is so great, man. Hey, that it, it's a magical, it's a magical trick. The more you drink. The better we see. The better you are. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Like, here's a great way to make your stuff work. Like, if you don't think it's that great, is just hand out booze when people are coming into the theater. Here, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a three shot minimum before you walk in. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> just can't do you can, we just can't make it this seagrass man because this stuff will knock you again 118.4 proof it will knock yeah. you on your ass. Um, and we will, we will drop, we will jump back and forth between the way. Can you, do you have a glass? We can try this thing neat without any water on it. Uh, I don't have one, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to finish this. Thing. All right. You finish that. Now, Cause I, I would like right. you to try it neat as well. Cause I'm, I'm, what I'm interested in is knowing if you feel like that amount of alcohol in it, that ABV is too much for you to handle, you know, or, on that level, mm-hmm. is it is it something you could see yourself sipping that way, or do you feel like you just have to put a little bit of water in it? Well, to be honest, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it neat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is a disclaimer. I did try some neat a couple of days ago. The whole bottle's <laughs> almost gone, folks. Just so you know, Harry's uh, you know, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> That's true, but I didn't I didn't do it by myself. I have a yeah. I have a little woman that, that runs around here pilfering things. She takes. I call her by the she, your wife likes your your wife likes the seagrass, huh? She does like it. You know, she she has. Uh, I think this, you know she's developed a taste for whiskey for spirits. Frankly, she used to only drink a bit of wine from time to time, but now she'll like a cocktail. And um, and so she she had a not a whole lot of this, but I've had it neat. But I'm going to try it again. But this I feel perfectly fine now drinking what I just had. Okay. Uh, and, booziness thing it doesn't seem it's not too much. Oh, there's there's the somebody's yeah. that's yeah but it feels very um did you get the did you get the part was that what that was i always feel like when <laughs> actors get calls it's always but did you get the part yeah <laughs> I've only. Do you, have you had have you had that moment though i mean i know you you've been at you've been at this a long time man you've had a, a tremendous amount of success you're very you're you just a, a brilliant actor and and do you remember those moments where, and do you ever reflect on them? It's a difficult thing to do, right? It's a di- this profession, the thing that you do is a difficult thing in that there's a tremendous amount of rejection. Right. I don't know of many other fields where you're told no, 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 and for reasons you're probably never going to understand. You know, I have actor friends that say they walk in the room and they don't even get to say a line. They look at him and go, no, sorry. Right. So when you do have something comes along that you really want, do you remember those moments earlier in your career where you got a part? And how excited did you get? Did you ever have one of those moments where you just put the phone down and went, fuck, Mm. fuck, I did it. Um, I'm trying, you know, it's a very good question. By the way, I did finish that one. This is, this is neat. Okay. This is neat. Still in the area. I'm going to need here. He's, having, he's, he's pondering this over some, over some seagrass. It's, it's sub yeah, substantial, you know, isn't it? <laughs> it's a substantial hit. 
to use your language. It would, it's, it's great by itself, but it's almost, if I were just going to have it neat, uh, I wouldn't, I, I would have it after dinner. Do you know what I mean? I might have it with, with a bit of fruits or, uh, or some chocolate. What about a cigar? Um, what about a cigar with that? Or a cigar or a cigar. Yeah. But I would probably have some water on the side as I, as I do. And, uh, but it's, it's, um, it's a delicious, uh, rye and, um, you know, I've just brought my palate now has gotten used to things a little bit more diluted so that I can sense it, you know, uh, as, as, as the ice is sort of going into it, I can, you know, take a kind of, um, more generous swig of it, but, but it's, it is, there's no questioning in its quality. Uh, it's just that for me, I would probably tend to drink too much of it straight and because of its ABV. <laughs> yeah, that could be a problem. No, I definitely would recommend this thing in a cut. I mean, this thing in an old fashioned is fantastic. I would, re- yeah. if you're going to drink, I would put it either definitely at least put it on the rocks because it, you said you get that dilution. That's a good thing because it starts to open it up. You're, you're able to identify yeah. the very, the, the nuances in the whiskey, things that when the alcohol is that high, you can miss because the alcohol is overpowering. Okay. Put a little water in there and it, it smooths it out. And it goes, yeah. oh, here's this. Here's when I mentioned the grapefruit and, and you know, the, the, the various uh, other notes that I was getting on there. I mean, even like um, there's a little bit of like a, a sandiness to it, this texture wise, sandy texture to it. But the, the flavor, again, I got grapefruit, I got pear, I got a little bit of rosemary and, and that stuff you might not get if you're drinking it just neat. But um Right. Anyway, getting back to your moment, like the, yeah, the moment when you just yeah. you go, man, I worked so hard and I got it. I don't think that I ever had that sort of uh, moment of triumphal jubilation, so to speak. Um, I think on a, on, a, on a certain level, Dan, just to be honest with you, uh, sometimes I feel like I'm entitled to all of the parts. You know, I'm trained. I, I, I did the work. I you know, at least for a little while there, I, I stayed ready and in shape and all of these things. So I feel like on a certain level, uh, while grateful for the work, you know, I was never like, well, this is going to make me, you know, happy and fulfilled. Because once you get the job, I think the hardest part for me is getting the job. Uh, once you get the job, you have to do the work. And you you put into, you know, uh, after a little while, it gets a little more um, certain that is, you have a process by which you work. Uh, you may not know all of the answers yet, but you know that you'll figure it out. That if there's an intelligent writer uh, and a good story, that you are just one aspect of that story. You may be the lead or some person on the side of that, but uh, you still have to put it into work. Dad, you know, you got to learn the lines. You got to get the chemistry right with the other actors. And a lot of times, you know, you're talking about your friends who on on site prima facie as they would say in the uh, law they got rejected well because they knew that the chemistry wasn't right i mean but this is a very personal business you you don't look the part you are not the part you're not what they're looking for they they know that right away sometimes and why belabor it? It, it it hurts more the further along the road that you get because then you start investing oh i know that, and- i know that feeling yeah <laughs> You know, you, the last thing you want to do is get far enough along where you actually think it could work because <laughs> it's not yeah. going to. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think I think it's only that it seems that way, Dan. For example, I've uh, I've only rarely made the mistake of thinking, oh, this could mean this mean X amount per episode. Yeah, but and and frequently I haven't gotten those jobs. But then when I didn't think that, I didn't get the job either. <laughs> sure, but you, I mean, look here, you know, you've got something that I think most actors would love to have you have been on a hit series what year yes. is the blacklist in eight eight now that is eight. not only are you getting to work and do what you love and do it regularly and get paid but that's the kind of security that i think everybody that's gotten into this business wants because it it affords yep. you the opportunity and you do a lot of this to do other passion projects, things that you produce and, and you're doing a lot of that and you've got the theater. Let's talk a little bit of the theater project you've got going as well. I'd love to hear more about that. Well, some years ago, thank you for asking about it. Some years ago, um, at this point, uh, a, a company there is a Congo, the Congo Square Theater Company. They are 21 years old at this point, but they don't have a home. They don't have a, they're an itinerant company out of Chicago. As I say, uh, Sterling track record. They won, I think, the small tone, small theater Tony Award a few years back, or something like this. Um, a lot of celebrated uh, accolades. All of these things don't have a home, and so the artistic director, executive director at the time, asked me, "Hey, can you help us find a home?" And it hit me that you know, well, where, where can we put this place? And the best place would be where it's needed most. And the place where that is in Chicago is on the south side. And so I thought if it's good for the Congo Square Theater Company, it's probably good for a lot of companies that are beyond theater companies, dance companies, uh, music companies, uh, ballet companies, um, uh, spoken word people, uh, musicians of all kinds, cultural, expressive, living art needs a home that is a state-of-the-art home on the south side of Chicago, like there is on the north side, to some extent, even on the west side, there's limited, you know, places. But nonetheless, they have state-of-the-art theaters that can accommodate the, the hunger for culture in their own backyard. Deserves it. Much of the blues and rock and roll and soul music and a lot of the theater companies and dance derives from that very part of the world. Uh, Muddy Waters lived in the neighborhood where this theater is, for example. Um, uh, Ella Fitz, not Ella Fitzgerald, but uh, Louis Armstrong lived very close by. Ida B. Wells, Louis Sullivan, the great architect, lived in that neighborhood. And yet there's nothing when it comes to a viable theater. And so it became my plan, goal, to create what I like to call the Black Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts so that we can provide a home for already existing companies. That's what the Lincoln Center does. Uh, New York Philharmonic and the Metropolitan Opera, American Ballet, they were all in existence when Rockefeller put some money down in the middle of, of, uh, of New York and bought them all to a central hub where people can see them. They do some 3,000 events per year at the Lincoln Center uh, on, on their campus. It's uh, many theaters and classrooms and places like that. But uh, stages, film, uh, screens, and so forth. And so this is what this will be. It will be a multidisciplinary performance arts center, and we intend to have a campus and the whole thing. And that's all going to be done under the auspices of the African-American Museum 
for the performing arts. Uh, we call it AMPA, and then the and home of AMPA, where it presents much of this work, will be at the Lillian Marcy Center for the Performing Arts, which is named after my mother and my mentor. Uh, my mother is Lillian, and my mentor was Marcella, or Marcy Gilly. So they really were my inspiration in terms of what can be done with not a whole lot of money, but a lot of love and a lot of initiative, what you can build. And so this is intended to be an incubator and a, a sanctuary uh, to house these arts, which are very delicate, but also which are really what have gotten us through this 400 year sojourn in the United States of America, where black people have really provided the only original indigenous forms of expressive arts have come from this population and they wait deserve. a minute. Didn't the Rolling Stones invent blues? <laughs> don't, don't let me fact check me on this one, but I'm pretty they sure. For <laughs> By the way, there's a great, there is a great video. If you, you go on YouTube, you can find it. It's muddy waters is playing a bar, I think in Chicago in 19, in the seventies and the stones okay. are the biggest band in the world. And they show up, you got to Google this and they sh- YouTube it and they show up in the bar and Muddy's playing, obviously it was kind of set up, but you know, it's 1975, something like that. It's Jagger, Richards, Ronnie Wood. Yep. I remember Jagger's wearing a salmon colored tracksuit, as you would if you're Mick Jagger. Wow. And they get up on stage and it's, it's Muddy Waters band and they play Manish Boy. And it is, it's incredible to watch it, to see, here's the guy, the originator. Here's the guy who yep. did it. And then this is the band that took it. I'm not going to say so. every artist is a cannibal, every poet's a thief, right, Harry? Here we go. So they they took it and made it famous, right? And yes. yes, they did. And watching them all on stage together and just the all vibing with that music. So the thing you're doing, is it where are where is it in the process? How far along is it now? Well, we are close. We want to start developing it. That is to say, well, we have developed. We want to start building out on it in September of this year. So the the fourth quarter of this year and then to finish it sometime in the fourth quarter of 2022. So we're just about there. We have a three to five million dollar, what they call a deficiency. That is, we have to answer how we're going to come up with that before the city, who has been very supportive, and has given us, you know, a promise of some support financially before they sign off on it and let us actually start building. But I, let me just say this real quick thing about uh, 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 the Stones. You know, I, I see these things with Mick Jagger showed up everywhere. <laughs> There's this movie that my friends did called uh, Amazing Grace, a guy by the name of, uh, uh, of Alan Elliott uh, put together this movie about Aretha Franklin singing in an L.A. church uh, on the on this in South Central Los Angeles. It is her and James Cleveland and some other, just some church people, just some church people eating fried chicken probably right after the rehearsal. <laughs> and, uh, and I have to tell you, Mick Jagger's there. Sidney uh, Pollack is there because they, you know, they, they love the music. And so they would just, he would show up and he didn't care what kind of hole in the wall it was. If he knew something authentic was happening, him and Keith Richards and them boys could play with anybody. They could sing with anybody. And the, the beauty of the beauty of the Stones too was they, you know, now it's called cultural appropriation. But back in the day, it was just them. I, I 
truly believe it was they were you know i've read keith richard's autobiography and he said yeah. you know meeting muddy waters to them was you know like seeing god you know yeah. like because they're, they're, they're you know these are british kids that came up but what i loved about the stones is they would just you know when they had the country when they would do the country stuff and they just lean into like you know dead flowers when yeah. you're sitting there and and you know i i just imagine like was there a wink for jagger was he winking at it at all or was he just he didn't give a shit. He's like, I want to sing. I want to sing with that twang. I want to sing like Muddy Waters. I want to do this, right? You know, there's a whole bunch, Dan. You know, and I, this is always fascinating to me, this kind of cultural history and so forth. You know, if you think about those Southern accents with the twang, all that stuff, we can directly trace it from the United Kingdom, from Britain. In many cases, a lot of those, you know, the Southern accents were really the kind of first original American accents, but they came immediately, more or less, from England. If you think about Virginia and Jamestown, Virginia, and, and all those places that were uh, colonized and so forth, that developed into the Southern accent. And so I think to some extent it's going full circle. It really is a kind of return. So he recognized something. Those songs, even songs like uh, our Star Spangled Banner, that tune is a British military song. Um, our country tis of thee is uh, God save the queen. Not, I, I think something like that, but the uh, fields of amber waves of grand for purple mountain majesty. I found that pretty right? America the beautiful is God save the queen. Uh, that's the tune. And so a lot of this stuff is really a return, the, the kind of form of the one, four, five progression. All of these things are based like really in, in classical musical forms that were adopted by Americans and were really taken to their kind of uh, uh, a beautiful arrival by Black people who put rhythms on it and who put accents and stress on certain uh, metrical feet, all kinds of stuff. But all that stuff is based <coughs> on forms that are European harmonies, melodies to some extent, to a limit, more limited set, in African rhythms. But it became this bouillabaisse, this gumbo of culture that, again, has, has really been the only original things. Uh, Harry, are that, you that sure Are you sure that white people didn't invent jazz? <laughs> are you sure? Some white, white people claim to have done it. There was a white group, I can't remember their name, that said that we invented jazz. I'm just telling you not true but that's what they said i just we had to have done something um podcasting well, you guys make a pretty big maybe white people invented podcasting i mean come on give us something probably what's a form of entertainment where you can just talk about yourself and how great you are podcasting yes let's do that <laughs> yeah yeah mm. Electronic narcissism. Yes, that's it. I want to. Uh, I want to. I want to very quickly. A couple. When I'm looking back, I, we started looking back at your IMDb. You're in Bob Roberts, man. Yeah. I, yeah. I completely forgot that. I just love that movie. Wow. Okay. I love Bob Roberts. Did you not like Bob Roberts? No. You did not. I like didn't him. know. That. What's that? It's a, 
It's a great movie. I didn't know that you liked it. You know. Oh um, my God! Well, I, I even remember the, the his what was the song he sang? The Times. He was a folk singer. Tim Robbins plays like a singer who's this arch conservative. And the one album was The Times. They are a changing back. That's right. And the best yeah, is too. that was a joke until Trump ran on it. You know, like let's go. You know, and and won on it. You know, he just went. Yep. But, and there were so many people in that movie. Uh, and I want to go back and watch, but I'm just trying to do it all the time. I, I mean, Jack Black was in that movie. I believe that was one of his yep. first. He played this fanatical, uh, and again, it all seemed like a joke back then, but it all has come to fruition. Big movie. Yeah. Yeah. Very prescient. And it, it, it did. It did seem like a joke, but Dan, I, I would be, I would, I would remind you that now when that movie was made is about 20 years ago. When it was made? No, no, no. More. 19. 30. I think uh, Bob Roberts is 1992. 30. Yeah, 30 years so ago. So that's 30 years ago. And it wasn't far-fetched in any way at the time. There was, you know, all kinds of people that Trump was a direct descendant of. Yeah. There were people like Dick Gephardt and Newt Gingrich. And that's right. Saying the exact same stuff that Trump is saying now, you know, and, and, and people like that. So this has always been the, the polarity in the United States. It's always been conservatism. It's, it's actually moved rather remarkably to, to the center as has uh, liberalism, has actually moved, you know, the, the kind of, for example, I was a big Clinton guy. Still, I campaigned for his wife twice uh, for president. Uh, but the Clinton Democrats, like I consider myself, that is a centrist Democrat, moderate Democrat, are considered conservative now. Oh, yeah. So that's how far, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like Things people like, yeah, like I'm the enemy. <laughs> I'm going to get off politics right now. Uh, be like, uh, very quickly, because I'm going to let you go in a, a couple minutes here. But I'm just looking, man, like movies that I did, like Clockers. With, with such a, I love the book, actually. Richard Price wrote the book, right? Mm-hmm. Am I? Yeah, I loved it. Mo Money, Get on the Bus, uh, The Matrix mm-hmm. movies, The Human Stain. How is working with, we'll leave it at that. How is working with, uh, with the man on that one? Uh, uh Jesus Christ. Anthony, Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. I'm sitting here going like I'm going. I was about to say Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I've had some. I've had some uh, barrel seagrass. I'm, I'm just going to admit it right now. But how is working with Anthony Hopkins? Barrel is great. Uh, by the way, uh, great. That was my second time working with him. I had done a movie with him called Titus, and based on Titus Andronicus. So uh, Human Stain was my second go around with him. We had a very nice conversation leading up to that, but you know we we were. Very fast friends on Titus. Uh, got a chance to spend a great deal of time with him, sit at the foot of the master, so to speak, and uh, and listen to him, you know, break down his process and and uh, and watch him do it. So it's wonderful whenever you have a masterful, a maestro, a, a top professor like that. You know, it, it is a rare occasion. He can't do uh, every project, so you know we have to to really appreciate what it is that, that he uh, lends his time and his attention to. You consider him one of the greats that we've had? There's no question. Like, it's not just that I consider him. He's one of the greats. Yeah. The greatest actors uh, on the planet of all time. He's uh, got something, you know, he's Welsh and uh, comes from more or less the same village as uh, in Wales as did the great Richard Burton. But these men are titans, you know, for, for actors who uh, dig 
the use of language and, and, uh, and pedigree, training, uh, attention to craft, all of these things he is, uh, I don't know of one who I would prefer to have ever worked with. Like, you know, I, 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 I love him and uh, as an actor and as a, a very generous man, spent some time with me. We had once, we had lunch. Um, actually, when he called me, Dan, I thought that it was Angus McFadgen, who you mentioned earlier, uh, <laughs> playing a joke on me because he used to call me and impersonate him. And he did a very good Anthony Hopkins impersonation. And one day I was like, hey, what the hell do you want, Angus? And it was actually Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> oh, no kidding. That's great. <laughs> he said, he said uh, you and Angus have been doing other impersonations of me again, I see. Well, <laughs> listen, I want to have lunch. Um, perhaps you can find some time to uh, to join me for lunch. That's a good Anthony Hopkins. You know, I, <laughs> I sometimes imagine if I could do this show and obviously podcasting wasn't around then, but how great it would have been to be able to have, and I love having people like yourself on, but to be able to have, you know, Richard Harris and Peter O'Toole. And because you know what, if you're doing a show called what we're drinking and you're having Peter O'Toole on, first of all, everything, the answer to that question is everything. Uh, and, and the Richard Harris's of the world. And uh, I imagine Hopkins back in the day and, and, you know, all these guys. Yeah. That, that would have yeah. been something I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I'm glad yeah. I get, I'm glad I get you, man. Uh, it's nice to have We're, you on. It's always cool great. Second. Angus. You should get Angus of that. I'm get, well, I don't know where the hell he is. He's uh he's, he's he, he, he goes around. We don't, we never can really pin him down. But uh, he's mostly in Panama, but we'll, we'll get him for you. We'll find him. We'll, we'll track him yeah. down. Um, yeah. Harry Lennox, the blacklist. When is the show's wrapping up soon this season coming up the end when May usually uh, kind of ends. I think so. Yeah. It ends generally in May. We'll be shooting until June. Um, early June. We got a late start this year. Normally we knock off uh, at the end of April. But we'll be there into June this year. I do another show called Billions. So my That's right. is that back now? Because I it, it, that got back. cut off like seven episodes in. I think it got cut off, and then like and everything were, else. Yeah. And you were playing a more prominent role this season, right? Right. There's a right. he's yeah. trying to develop something in a neighborhood, and he needs you. When I say he, I mean Damian Lewis's character uh, needs you to make this thing happen, right? That's correct. Very good, Dan. You, you, you're, uh, you're clearly watching. Of course. What am I, you know, Harry? What else of- am I fucking doing, man? What do you think I'm doing? What do you think I do? This is me. Look at, look at, look at. This is what I do. Look at. I experiment. I watch TV and I experiment with hairstyles. What do you yeah, think of this well, hairstyle? Come good. on, tell me what you think. Be honest. I like it. I like it. You look like you belong on some sort of Final Four team right now. I feel like you're mocking my hairstyle. Are you mocking my hairstyle? You look like one of guys like Tyler Hero or something that play. <laughs> no. You know, like the new, the new school. I look like I look like some old guy who is pretending to be Tyler Hero. Yeah, hey, look at me. Do you have any demand, Harry? Is there any demand you make when you're doing a movie? I mean, you know, get a trailer, you get stuff like that. Could you say, "I want a bottle of this every day in my trailer"? Uh, no, uh, normally any kind of demand I would make would be, you know, sort of like for, for billing. It wouldn't even be a demand. It would be a request. Gotcha. But no, I've never got to that point where I could 
you know, have only blue M&Ms, you know, in my, in my dirt bowl or anything like that. So, and I don't, you know, I don't need to do that. I can, I can pull out all my own M&Ms, I guess. But, you know, it's, I know that people do it, but I'm not cut from that kind of uh, cloth. I probably, maybe I could do it, but you could. I don't. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, Harry Lennox, The Blacklist, NBC. It's always great to see you, man. And I look forward to seeing you in person soon. We will tip back uh, some some whiskey, or if you can afford the extra calories. I mean, you can have you can have gin. Why don't you just air? Why don't you just we'll just get you a bottle of air for Harry? Yeah, that's and um, I'm sure I would approve. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you again soon, man. I appreciate you doing this, and uh, we'll be back right after the other side of this word from whoever, uh, and we're going to talk to Joe Beatrice from Barrel Craft Spirits. Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. Go to Keeps.com dot com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair and your hair will take care of you. Joining me now, as promised, the founder, Barrel Craft Spirits, old friend of the show, Joe Beatrice. Joe, how are you, man? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me on. It's great to see you, as always. Uh, Harry Lennox and I just were having a very good time drinking the seagrass, the latest expression. How many do you have in the portfolio? How many different expressions <laughs> of barrel would you say you've made? Now, you've been around since, what, 2013, right? Yep. How many expressions have you put out, roughly? Well, I've never added it all up, <clears throat> but there are there's the bourbon, the whiskey, the rum, and the rye lines, and then there are the then we have all the private releases, which constitute hundreds of different releases. But then, aside from those, we have the special releases, which are the, the which the group is Dovetail, Armida, and Seagrass. So, of, and those are these are three whiskeys that are always available at this point that we blend over and over again. And there are minor different minor variances, but, but those are the three that are core. We both loved it. The, the, the seagrass, it, uh, it, I mean, I had it in old fashioned. It's so tasty when you've got something that's got, you know, we're talking 118 plus proof here. Do you recommend try it neat or do you want to put a little water in before you even take that first sip? Well, the way I recommend trying it is, Trying it neat first. You want to nose it. You want to taste it, and then after that, then you can then you can proof it down with water, um, preferably over ice. Um, and this makes a spectacular cocktail. But yeah, everything we do is cast strength, so it's sort of the luck of the draw. Whatever whatever those barrels end up being when we when we dump them and blend them um, is what the proof is. What informs that choice? Why is that everything you do is cast strength? That was a core tenet of the company from the beginning. Um, the only water we have in our place is drinking water. <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't dilute anything. Um, that was it's it's it, it comes from the fact that the first time I ever tasted whiskey out of a barrel, I just couldn't believe 
how amazing it was. Because remember, we lived in an eighty-proof world, you know, and 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 all and all of a sudden, it was just it just opened up as this spectacular, complex array of just concentration. And I just was amazed and thought, why doesn't everybody drink whiskey like this? And so from the beginning, we were everything we did was cast strength. One of the things that I mentioned to Harry was just how quickly barrel came on the scene and then just started winning awards and 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 was almost from the get-go just embraced and and recognized as a premium brand how'd that happen i think because <laughs> it doesn't happen all the, it certainly is it's it's no easy feat to to you know to come out of nowhere and just yeah I, yeah I, yes um we've been We've been fortunate. Um, also, um, you know, a couple of things are going on. The time we came out was the time was right. Um, we have always been transparent. Um, and I think that y- y- you have to put it into context. There's There are dozens of companies that, that talk about the source whiskey. But when we did it, th- we were one of the few, if, if the only one, that really came right at that straight ahead and said, we're blenders. We blend. We blend in the in the Scottish tradition of of you know finding great whiskeys and putting them together. So that transparency, I think, really helped. And the other one was the single focus, single minded focus on blending. That's what we do. We spend our days blending, tasting. Um, when we get into seagrass in a couple minutes, maybe um, when I talk about like how we ended up, what, what, what goes into this blend, it's, it's incredibly complex. And so that, I think that that had a lot to do with it because our focus was always on the flavor. And the other part of it is we, we, we don't talk about, we don't talk about our products. We let other people talk about our products. We let, we let, um, we let bloggers, influencers, uh, competitions, anybody uh, talk about our whiskey. Well, and this is the word of the mouth on bourbon out. lovers. I mean, when we did, you know, we've talked about this before, Joe, and when I had you guys uh, at Pebble Beach, when I did the Whiskey River event up there, and we, on the opening night, we had this tasting room, and I think there were about eight different whiskeys in the room, and, and yours was one of them. Will was up there uh, pouring. And to just watch the reaction to the people had and, you know, and then throughout the weekend I'd have people coming up to me and they'd say, you know, not just, not just yours, but certainly yours was one of the ones where they said, I didn't, I didn't know about this. And yeah. now I just love it. And that's kind of how it happens. Right. Especially in the, in the world yeah. of the bourbon consumers, people talk amongst themselves. Yeah. And it's what's, what we thought from the very beginning was also that we needed to put the glass in people's hand and let them taste it. We had to get the wet people taste it. So a big part of where we focus our energy was in whiskey festivals and events and tastings. We did hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, and that really helped that really helped with with spreading the word about our product. So someone who has no idea, never been to a distillery, they've never seen the process at all. Explain in the simplest terms how blending works. Well, seagrass uh, is an incredibly complex uh, blend. And the way we do it is we we start with a concept of what we would think we want to achieve. And then because we have a fairly extensive library of barrels that we have, um, that we will either take some of them in or sample. But a lot of times we'll take a representative sample of the barrels into our place. 
then pull samples out of those barrels and then begin the process of putting this plan together. And so you, Joe, do, do, do mind if yeah. I jump in here, but so you already yeah. have the inventory. It's not like you sat down and said, this is the flavor profile I'm, I'm going for. So now I have to go up to let's let's pack our bags and head for Canada and go find the barrels that we need in Canada. Let's get, you've already got this inventory in house stuff that you've already purchased. Yes, and and then when if we do find there's a gap, we do that. We we do track things down and, and find it. But for the most part, um, it, we're in we're in we're in good shape with with the range of of barrels and types and mash bills that, that we have. Um, and in this, it, so we knew that seagrass was going to be rye, um, uh, a rye whiskey. And so we, we, we focused on, um, the, on playing around with different finishes. And there, these, this product has different ryes finished in different finishes and then blended. So the process, um, the, the process is that Canadian rye component of it was finished in apricot brandy casks. The Indiana rye was finished in the um, Madeira casks. And then the, we took a multi-state <clears throat> selection of rye from Tennessee, Indiana, Kentucky, as well as some Canadians. We blended that first and then finished it in the agricole casks. The rum agriculture. How much of that is instinct and guesswork? I, I know you have obviously you've got a lot of skill that you've developed, talent to do, but is there an element of just let's let's put it in there and see what happens? Well, not well, I, I was trying to do this this slim down version. So to get to that point, we had all we have already played around with dozens of combinations of the different rise in different finishes. And this started with more than we started with a with a selection of way more than three finishes, and netted it down to these three finishes as the ones that really work together best. So we do bring in all these. We drink barrels first. We take a selection of it. We then we then vat some of the whiskey once we figure out what the percent blend of combination of the ryes are. So in other words, we'll we may pull from more than one mash bill of the rye. In different ages. In this case, there this this product is aged is a very little four year old. Uh, it's mainly the centered around five to ten plus some 14, 15 year old Canadian in here. So it the, the age range is, is very far. So we spend a lot of time first developing the blend of each of those indi- individual ride components, and then after we've done that, then we test them all with the different finishes. And the, the where we ended on it that list that I mentioned is the way that it worked best with the flavors complementing each other. But then once we have those three components, so we blended, we blended many, many barrels to get to these three components. After we do that, we blend those three components together to get to the final blend. And then after that's done, we will use a little bit, relatively speaking, of unfinished rye to balance the flavor. When you're working out the blend and you're trying your sampling, you have a pretty good idea already before you go, like there needs to be this much grapefruit flavor in there. I want to smell this much honeydew when I'm there, or, or is it kind of let the spirit speak to you and tell you what it wants to do? It's a little of both, but it's more of the latter. 
So we know some, we know what the characteristics are of the different rise. And, and we know when we put them together, certain things will be more predominant. And then as we're blending the initial stages of it, we can, we can tease out more of those by balancing and using the mash bill that contributes more of that to it. We use this expression, we let, we let flavor drive the bus. And we do, because sometimes we, we don't always end up in the place we started. Um, but, and, but where we end up is where we believe is better than, than what we had expected. <laughs> when, I, when I spoke to Harry earlier, we talked a little bit about roles and, and acting and when he, whether he got super excited when he got parts. And Harry's just a consummate professional. And he says, oh, you know, he, just, he always just thinks about the work. But I'm curious, in your line of work and what you do, have you had moments with the very, you know, we talked about how many different expressions you've done. Can you remember one where you just went, holy shit, <laughs> this is, this is the best thing I could do. You're not going to love the answer, but we all, we almost, we get there every time we do a batch release or a blend because we've worked so hard on it. When it's there, it's there. However, I will say, I one of my personal favorites is Armida. I it it just speaks to me. Um, it, it's a it's a uh, it has the pear of our own rum finish. It's a bourbon, not a bourbon. We don't call it a bourbon. It's a bourbon finished in, so it's technically a whiskey. So we're not. It's not bourbon. Don't want to break um, those rules, Joe. You can't. A lot of rules, we, man. You can't be finishing yeah. a bourbon. Yeah. No. We know we're very we're, we're careful and and we we straddle that we're trying to communicate as much as we can, um, it, and um, and sometimes the limitations are more are more technical, um, so it is a bourbon finished in or our, or our batches are a blend of straights. So there's these are technical terms that that we have to incorporate, but the moment that 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 our meta came together for me was just. It was amazing. It was just, it just, it just spoke to me. And it was, you know, we, we, uh, the pear component, the pear brandy, the pear O to B is, is, is a West Coast um, distillery that makes phenomenal uh, pear brandy. And this is just, we, we, we tried four different strains of, uh, three different strains of pears and came up with this one, different common. This was the one, the Bartlett pear one was one that, one that was the most perfect. So that, that was one that, that I thought was that moment. Um, seagrass really, um, uh, as we were developing it, uh, and again, there were literally maybe a hundred, more than a hundred different combinations of what we did. When we got to the end, we all looked at each other and like, that's it. There wasn't even any question as we were, as we were doing the final, final touches, we got there and it was, that's it. We know. Collectors love your brand. What's, what are kind of the Holy grail expressions barrel? Well, the answer to that question is, um, you know, we, we look at the secondary market and we're excited that people are interested enough to pay more for a bottle uh, in the secondary market than they paid on the shelf. I, I find that the highest compliment. I think that's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and so everything that we do is a limited release. And once, once it's sold out, it, it's gone. Um, of the recent ones, um, 27 uh, is, is a really, is a, is a 
I think just a luscious. And to program. describe to everybody out there, when you're throwing out these numbers, when you say yes, 27, go ahead, tell them what you mean by that. Yeah, 27 is 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 our batch 27 bourbon. So we do about uh, four of our batch releases per year, numbered sequentially. And there's no rhyme or reason to the to the age statement. It has to do with with what we're trying to achieve with that particular bourbon at any given time. And so they're always a blend of different ages. And when you look at the age statement on our products, it's always the youngest one. But you can always be pretty sure that if it's a five-year-old or an eight-year-old, 10-year-old, there's going to be eight, nine, 10, 12, 14, 16-year-old product in there. So we're that's one of the things that differentiate us. We're, we are happy to use barrels that we have to complete the flavor or the or enhance whatever it is that we're doing with with a, an older bourbon uh it need, may need some wood may need some you know some tannins it may need some base we'll do that we'll do that um so i like any of the current releases 27 i think is notable um for me um you know i go back to the old days of uh, batch five to me it was always this crazy difficult one batch eight is another really old favorite um right. 10 is i'm writing this down by the way because i'm gonna be like do i have any of these <laughs> I wanna go take a look. 11 11 7 we 7 was an interesting one because that was the first time we did a five-year-old and that won a number of awards uh, batch 11 was the first one that we won uh san francisco with we won that twice um it's funny you talk are- about these things like they're your children and you're you know yeah. you're and i guess they are in a way right <laughs> they are <laughs> yeah um, Joe Seagrass, we're very excited about this one. What do we got about $90 a bottle on this thing? Yes. That's the, the price point of the, of the, the, all the whiskeys and the bourbons are $90 except for the single barrels. So again, Martinique rum, Madeira and apricot brandy casks for this one. Harry Lennox, he loves his whiskey, but he is very discerning. And Harry gave this thing the thumbs up as do I. But that's pretty much the case every time I have anything you you do, man. So don't get a big head. But I'm just don't don't get a big head. I don't want you. (laughs) I'm not. Every day we start over again. We prove ourselves every day. Joe Beatrice, it's always great to see you, man. And I I can't wait for the. uh, I'm already looking forward to the next thing. And I think we might have something soon. I'm going to tease a little bit, a little teaser here. (laughs) We might be seeing Joe again on this program soon because there is other big news. But I don't want to break it just yet. Joe will be back. And Joe will be back soon with something really special to talk about. And hopefully it'll be on this show that we talk about it first. Happy to do that. Thanks, man. Thank you.